What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldhead bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. Jeremiah, the prophet, bowed before the Lord. He could hear the word of the Lord coming to him. These were the words Jeremiah heard. For I know the plans I have for you, this is the Lord's declaration, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 11-13 Jeremiah heard these words and he probably raised his head from the ground from his bowing position and thanked Yahweh for his hope, for his grace and his kindness. He then called his faithful scribe Baruch to pen a letter to be sent to the people left of the tribe of Judah. And he wrote those encouraging words. And then he sent the letter. And you know where he sent it? To Babylon. The majority of people of Judah were no longer in the land. Most of the people of Judah were gone. Babylon. Babylon now owned the land of Judah and northern Israel. The country known as Israel was no more. The country known as southern Israel, Judah, was gone. The people of Judah were now in exile. And yet Jeremiah wrote those words of hope. He talked of a future and a hope for Israel. How how could that be? Well, let me back up and let me remind you of where we're at. Northern Israel is no more. They were taken captive by the Assyrians and deported to Assyria and Nineveh and, and way far away from Israel. Judah, or southern Israel, was the only part of Israel left. And they just had a godly king named Josiah who led the people to repentance 
Josiah had found a portion of the Old Testament, remember, and had been reminded of the covenant that was made between Yahweh and the people of Israel. He had restored the temple. He had reinstituted the Passover. He had cleansed the land of all the pagan idols. And then he died. He died tragically, probably in a battle he should never have been fighting. But he had a great start on a revival, right? I mean, he got rid of all the idols. He cleansed the land. He rebuilt the temple, reinstituted Passover. A godly king had paved the way for the people of Judah to come back to God. Well, that's what you'd think. And Josiah had four sons. And their names were Eliakim, Jehoahaz, Mataniah, and Shalom. Well, after Josiah died, the next in line should have been Eliakim. But the people chose Jehoahaz to be king instead. The middle child. Maybe Jehoahaz was a better leader, taller, better looking, had a full head of hair. I don't know. But for some reason, the people chose the oldest middle brother over the oldest brother of them all. Now, Jeremiah the prophet, remember him? Now, he began his ministry near the end of Josiah's reign. And so he would have known about the godly reforms that Josiah had done. And he probably encouraged Josiah's sons to continue with those reforms, to continue in their father's godly ways. But you know what? Josiah's children, they all went the exact opposite path. They all chose to worship other gods, to lead the people away from the worship of Yahweh. Why they chose to do that, we do not know. Why would you do that? After seeing the blessings of God upon Josiah, why would you choose the pagan route? It would have broken the heart of their father, and we know it broke the heart of God. And to Jeremiah the prophet, it must have been tragic to see all this happen. Well, J.O.A. has, like I said, he begins to worship other gods and to lead the people to rebuild those high places and to pursue other gods and to forget Yahweh. Well, along the way in pursuing these other gods, J.O.A. has, he decides, I'm going to stand up to the Pharaoh of Egypt. Now, the Pharaoh of Egypt, his name was Pharaoh Necho. See, when Josiah died in battle, he was fighting against Pharaoh Necho and his army. And when the Egyptians defeated Josiah and his army in battle, the army of Judah was defeated, and that meant Egypt was now in control of the region. Well, under J.O.A. has, Judah tries to mount some type of revolt. You know, hey, we're not going to have this, and it fails miserably, and J.O.A. Has, who became king at the age of 23, is imprisoned by Pharaoh Necho and deported back to Egypt, where he dies and is never heard from again. Well, Pharaoh Necho, he's in charge, right? And he wants to show that he's in charge, so he decides who the next king is going to be, the next king of Judah, and he decides to put the older brother, Eliakim, in charge. And not only that, he makes Eliakim change his name from Eliakim 
to Jehoiakim. Not a huge difference, a little weird to me, but Eliakim to Jehoiakim. Ultimately, by doing that, the Pharaoh is showing, I'm in charge. And he's shown to all the world that he's in charge and he's got the power over upstart Judah. He puts who he wants as king and he makes him change his name to boot. Nico is the power in Judah. Well, Jehoahaz, he only ruled for three months. Now, his brother, Jehoiakim, he begins to reign, and he's eventually going to reign for 11 years. But just like his brother, it's an ungodly, terrible reign. He forgets his father's reforms and instead pursues the deities of the people surrounding him. God sends him messengers like Jeremiah to remind him of their covenant with him, but Jehoiakim ignores their pleas to return to worshiping Yahweh and instead pursues the gods of the nations around him. Well, Pharaoh Necho, who's in charge, eventually goes north and loses in the famous Battle of Carchemish. And you know who he loses to? He loses to the new rising power in the region, the power of Babylon, led by King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, Nebuchadnezzar then comes down. After beating Necho at the Battle of Carchemish, he then comes down and takes Jerusalem. And he says to Jehoiakim, I'm in charge. And now you have to pay taxes. And now you have to obey the commands of your new boss, me, and Babylon. Many people believe it was at this time, this first attack upon Jerusalem, that Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were taken to Babylon. Well, Jehoiakim, he does what Nebuchadnezzar wants, and he pays homage and tax and all the gold and silver. He does whatever it takes to please Nebuchadnezzar for three years. But then at some point... Jehoiakim decides enough is enough. And guess what? He tries to revolt. Well, guess what? Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to have nothing of it. And he comes straight to Jerusalem and he arrests Jehoiakim and he takes him in chains all the way back to Babylon where he puts him in prison. Now, I don't know if Jehoiakim is a slithery, slick sort of character, but Later, Jehoiakim escapes. We don't know exactly how he did it, but he escapes from Babylon prison and makes his way back to Jerusalem at some point. And there, he dies and is buried outside the walls of Jerusalem. That's what the book of Jeremiah says. And you know what? That's not some great honor. He gets buried outside the walls of Jerusalem, and he doesn't even get to be buried with the other kings inside Jerusalem. He doesn't get to be buried with the other kings of Israel in great honor and glory. Instead, he gets a plot just outside the city gates. A sad and pathetic end to a sad and pathetic life. Well, while Jehoiakim was gone, the Lord... Remember, he's punishing Judah for their sin, 
for rejecting him, for going after other gods, for breaking the covenant. And so one of the curses is he sends other nations to plague the people of Judah with war. Judah was raided by the Ammonites, the Arameans, the Moabites, and of course the Babylonians. God uses other nations to punish Judah for leaving the covenant with their God, for rejecting him. But God is gracious, and he also sends them prophets to warn them of the impending doom, to call them back to him. He sends them Isaiah, Micah, Habakkuk, and of course, Jeremiah. They all called for the people to repent, to come back to God. But the people didn't listen. They didn't care. You would think being plagued by war and hunger and constant strife and invasion that the people would see their need to return to God. But instead, Judah and their leaders turned their hearts even more. And the Bible talks about them being stiff-necked and cold-hearted. And they rebelled against the Lord and his ways. Well, after Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin. Now, why are their names so closely to each other? I don't know. But Jehoiachin, Jehoiakim's son, then begins to reign at the age of 18. And Jehoiachin? Could he do better than his dad? <laughs> no. He did evil. And he only lasted three months before Nebuchadnezzar had him deported to Babylon and locked up and put into prison. He also took 10,000 of the best people in Jerusalem, one of them being the prophet Ezekiel, and deported them to Babylon. This is the second time Nebuchadnezzar attacks and sieges Jerusalem. While there, he decides to put Jehoiachin's uncle, Mataniah, as king. And he also, like Nico, makes him change his name from Mataniah to Zedekiah. Well, Zedekiah then rules for 11 ungodly years. Like his brothers Jehoiakim and Joa has, and, and like Jehoiachin, Zedekiah, he does terrible, wicked things in the eyes of the Lord. He probably desecrated the temple by worshiping other gods in it. He encouraged the people that were left behind to build altars to restore the previous high places that were there to other gods. Zedekiah is an ungodly pagan ruler who, like the other kings before him, decides, you know what, I need to throw off the bondage of Babylonian oppression. And Zedekiah rebels against the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. And just like every other previous time, Nebuchadnezzar does not take this laying down. Instead, he comes up to Jerusalem and lays siege warfare against it for 30 months. That's roughly two and a half years Nebuchadnezzar lays siege on the city of Jerusalem. Now, siege warfare means that an army surrounds a city and they don't let anyone in or out. They don't let any food in or out. And they completely cut off the city. And then they also try to lob a flaming missile or two. And they attack it. And they're trying to tear down the city walls. And either way, the people behind the city walls 
since nothing's allowed in or out, they are slowly starving to death. And the people in the city stay there until they either give in and surrender or the walls are broken down and the invading army rushes in and kills all the men and pretty much everyone in the city. And that is where Jeremiah is. He's trapped in the city with the wicked King Zedekiah. He tries to leave but is arrested and thrown into a prison. And when he gets out, Zedekiah asks Jeremiah repeatedly to come and tell him the future. Jeremiah essentially tells him the same thing every time. You will be handed over to the king of Babylon. But Zedekiah doesn't want to listen to him. And, and finally, in his final meeting, Jeremiah says, If indeed you surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then you will live. This city will not be burned, and you and your household will survive. But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then this city will be handed over to the Chaldeans. They will burn it, and you yourself will not escape from them. Jeremiah 38 17 through 18. Well, the prophecy of Jeremiah comes true. Eventually, after 30 months, the Babylonians are able to break the wall surrounding Jerusalem. Zedekiah and some of his officials try to escape through the broken wall. Eventually, the Babylonians catch up with him and his entourage and arrest them and bring them back to their headquarters. There... Nebuchadnezzar does something truly brutal and horrific. He kills all of Zedekiah's sons in front of him. And then he gouges out Zedekiah's eyes and makes him blind. Can you imagine it? The last thing you saw was your sons being murdered and now... You can't see anything and you have that image forever stuck in your mind. And then Nebuchadnezzar binds Zedekiah in chains and, and he hauled him off to Babylon. And there Zedekiah was never heard of again. And just like Jeremiah prophesied, Jerusalem, because of Zedekiah's dumb choice, was burnt to the ground by the Babylonians. The walls were torn down. The temple burned and destroyed. Jerusalem was what we call raised to the ground. Now remember, Jeremiah promised him if Zedekiah had just given himself over to the Babylonians, Jerusalem would not be burned to the ground, would not be destroyed. But Zedekiah listened to his own prophets who promised him victory, not defeat, that he would triumph and not lose. He listened to the wrong little G God. He should have listened to the big G God, the God of all gods, the king of all kings, Yahweh. And he should have listened to his prophet, Jeremiah. Instead, he listened to the wrong voice. And Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, is hauled off to Babylon and dies alone in prison. It's over. It's a tragic end. It looks like it's done. Nebuchadnezzar establishes a governor named Gedaliah who was later assassinated by ten Jewish men to see Israel restored. 
and the last of any type of royalty or connection to a prominent family who might be able to raise rebellion in fear, they fled to Egypt. It was over. The people were gone. God had kept his promise and had driven the disobedient people out of the promised land. The people he loved, who he gave gracious chance after gracious chance to come back to him. He gave them chance after chance. His children, his bride, they continually rejected Yahweh as father or as groom. Whatever metaphor you choose to explain the love of Yahweh for his people, whether it was the love of a groom for his bride or the love of a father for his children, they rejected him at every turn. And just as God promised, with that rejection came curses and disease and pestilence and ultimately expulsion from the land. Do you know what? How did I begin this story? With Jeremiah writing those beautiful words, which many people recite today when they get discouraged. Words that many people who follow Jesus hold close to their hearts in times of trial and discouragement. That Yahweh has a future and a hope for his children and he plans to do them good the rest of their days. But think about it. Jeremiah is writing this to a group of people living in exile in Babylon. Things look bleak for the nation of Israel, for any chance of them ever being reunited as a people and as a covenant people following their king Yahweh. How could there be a future when the Jewish people are dispersed from Babylon to Alexandria, from Nineveh to the outskirts of Philistia? How could there be any hope for a people scattered amongst other nations? And that is where I wonder if Jeremiah could force a smile in the end. And he could look up and he could remind us of the hope. There's hope? Yeah. There's hope found in a prophecy that Jeremiah was given. And it was found in a prophecy that he made. Jeremiah 25, verse 11, it says this, This whole land will become a desolate ruin, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. The people of Israel will be punished. But God's wrath will not last forever. And after 70 years, what will happen? Jeremiah dies before he finds out what happens. But he knows God offers his people pardon and grace. And the book of Second Chronicles ends with these words of hope with these words of God calling his people home again. Listen to what it says. He deported those who escaped from the sword to Babylon, and they became servants to him and his sons until the rise of the Persian kingdom. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through Jeremiah, and the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the days of the desolation until 70 years were fulfilled. And here's the hope. In the first year... King Cyrus of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, the Lord, Yahweh, roused the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and also to put it in writing. 
This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of the heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up, and may the Lord, his God, be with him. They're going back. They're going back. Back to Jerusalem. They have a chance to rebuild. They have a chance to start all over again. They have a chance to renew their love relationship with Yahweh. They are going back because they serve a gracious God of the second chance. What will happen? Well, if you want to know, you got to read the book of Ezra and you got to read the book of Nehemiah. But I just want to encourage you. We serve a gracious God who loves us, who wants to give us a hope and who wants to give us a future. And he has plans for our well-being, not for disaster. And if we call to him and come and pray to him, and if we seek him with all our heart, he promises to be found by us. I pray that's me. I pray that's you. The nation of Israel, and specifically the nation of Judah, has come to a tragic end because they rejected their God. But there is hope. And that hope is coming. And you know what? The awesome thing for me and you, we know that hope. And his name is Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus Christ. Who came to earth to die for our sins on the cross. Who defeated sin and death. And showed he defeated sin and death by rising again. He died on the cross for our sins. Defeats sin. Rises again. And all of that comes through the people of Israel. And all of that is a completion of this majestic story of Israel. Right now, things look bleak. They're dispersed. But we know the glorious ending. And his name is Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.